everyone. Welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. This episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about yet another anime title that has a specific cultural relevance in Canada. Uh, we are talking about Sherlock Hound, uh, or as it's known in French, simply Sherlock Holmes, which as I uh, quickly realized, is significantly less SEO-friendly than the um, than the English title, which made research a little frustrating on this. Um, but it, of course, was a very popular title that ran on, on French networks, including Radio Canada and uh, Canal Family, throughout the 80s and 90s. And joining me in this retrospective today, uh, I'd like to welcome back onto the show editor-at-large from Anime News Network and uh, discotheque guy Mike Toole. Uh, Mike, thanks for coming on. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be back on uh, Zonan Canada, Jesse. I, I, I will say that I really miss my annual visit to, to Canada for Anime North, uh, hoping to return next year, uh, you know, fingers crossed after things start to settle down uh, in the wake of this uh, this terrible pandemic that we've been dealing with. Um, beyond that, uh, nothing to plug. Uh, I've been doing occasional pieces for ANN. Uh, I don't have anything specific to sing songs about for discotheque i have been doing panel presentations uh for virtual conventions my most recent one was all the animes convention cloud monstery and you can see a archival recording of dubs that time forgot uk edition uh on their website uh cloudmonstery.com uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to get back to anime north as soon as possible well it remains to be seen that that's going to happen in, in 2021 uh definitely by the year the year after i think uh, it's definitely going to happen but absolutely th- things are a little fuzzy and mm-hmm. And speaking of uh, virtual cons, we also have uh, as, who as uh, who has joined us in many episodes before, Chris, uh, also known as Kurotsky, the founder of KuroCon. Uh, Chris, you want to uh, anything else you want to say? Thanks for coming back on the show again. Hey, thank you very much for having me again. Uh, it's it's you know it's funny. The last time we um, I, I was in Ansan uh, in Canada, I was actually in Japan. Yeah, and you didn't and, uh, tell me that beforehand. <laughs> I found out after you would record the entire nice. thing while in Japan. You were amazingly, I got to say, like schedule-wise, you were amazingly flexible uh, <laughs> for, for that appearance, which was about a year ago, I think. Yes, it was. Uh, yeah, no, I'm. Uh, it's been it's been a it's been a, a, a fascinating year. Uh, I missed Japan, and uh, somehow I ended up, uh, as you mentioned. Um, uh, funding an online convention this year. <laughs> yeah, the, the rival to uh, Otakuthon in in Montreal, but yes. this time it, it's online and for everyone. It's online, yes. So, uh, well, well, we don't we don't have any more planned for this year, but uh, definitely uh, next year we'll we plan to come back. So check yeah. us out. Yeah, there were t- two installments of of Kurokan uh, yes. in, in 2020. Yes, and you got some pretty 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 uh, big name guests too. We did, <laughs> we did. Yeah, um, I can't. I that can't was remember. A very fascinating experience. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, that's that's really great. I'm looking forward to uh, to the next one. Um, so yeah, thanks for coming on, guys. Uh, so yeah, uh, in, in terms of Sherlock Holmes uh, or Sherlock Hound, we'll just call it Sherlock Hound. I think for the purposes of discussion in this show, because things will get a little a little messy if we try to go with the French title. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was difficult to research. This is actually one of the only titles. Um, I've looked at that I was not able to even determine the exact premiere date in Canada because if you try to search Sherlock Holmes uh, that has aired on Radio Canada, you get like a million different results. So it, it's it's hard to pin down, but uh, I, you know I, I've talked to some people. We got some some anecdotal perspectives. Uh, Chris will be able to shine some light on on quite a few things. I think especially the uh, the Canal family 
airings in the, the early 90s, which are uh, what you were able to watch on yes. TV. It, it does look like it, it started running in uh, about November of 1984, uh, because that's when it ran and started running in basically every country that it would run in, uh, run in. Um, that's very interesting, because that's yeah. when the later episodes also started airing in Japan. They pretty much debuted simultaneously, more or less, yeah. uh, or when the full run of uh of the the full 26 right. episode run started which cuz this was a as we'll get into this was quite a fractured production um they ran in Japan and France and Italy a few other european countries uh around the same time and from what i've been told they began uh running in Canada around the same time on Radio Canada which of course means it wasn't just in Quebec or french speaking areas if you lived in a major city you would have had access to this, but of course, unless you spoke French or your parents made you watch television in French as a <laughs> child, uh, which was an experience that many had, uh, you probably didn't even know that uh, this show existed. Um, yeah, see, see, this is the, these are this is the kind of information I come to this podcast to learn because yeah. <laughs> I I under I know about Radio Canada as a resource for uh, for for Quebecois folks, but I didn't realize that it's. It's uh, coast to coast in Canada, just in the major cities yeah. as well. Yes. Yeah, it is. And, and that's become so, sort of more and less prominent as time goes by. Uh, obviously, mm -hmm. with, with cable, you're getting more um, more areas that are going to be carrying it. You can't reliably get it everywhere. Um, but, you know, technically, they're, they try to make it as widely available as possible with the, with the idea that those who speak French can, you know, access services uh, anywhere they are in the country. Regardless of what the actual intention is, it gets us more anime, so uh, <laughs> yes. you know that's that's the real important thing. So uh, this TV series, it was it was a Japanese Italian co-production uh, developed by Porco Rosso himself, Marco Pago. Um, <laughs> of course, it wasn't actually Porco Rosso; it was uh, the guy Porco Rosso was named after. Definitely a Smith Torin kind of move there uh, with that mm -hmm. film. But what makes this series more widely known is the fact that it is the last television show that was directed, uh, at least partially, by a uh, famous guy, Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, specifically, the first six production order episodes, not broadcast order, because um, when you watch this in order, they, they mix every, they splice the Miyazaki episodes in uh, throughout the first half. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, man, when you hit those Miyazaki episodes, they are a, a real treat. Yeah. So Sherlock Hound is uh, an animated adaptation of the Sherlock Holmes stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I probably don't have to explain who Sherlock Holmes is. He's a cocaine-addicted prodigy detective. Uh, his stories <laughs> span four novels, uh, 56 short stories that were published in the Strand magazine. This was all between 1887 to 1927. He's widely considered to be the most adapted fictional character of all time, at least from a popular um, modern pop culture perspective. I think uh, I think there are a few other things that might uh, that, that that might give him Sherlock Holmes a run for his money in that area. So it's hardly surprising that we would at some point get a, a steampunk cartoon dog version uh, filled with all sorts of wonderfully <laughs> wild, uh, unconventional aircraft. Uh, which I guess the, the fact that there's all this all these flying devices in the uh, the show, I'm not sure if that would put the stories firmly in the early 20th century compared to the the old book or the old stories, which were, you know generally said at the time they were written um or if uh the steampunk ideology says that any kind of weird mechanical device that uh that runs on steam or flies could have existed uh earlier than that i'm not mm -hmm. uh i'm not well versed in in all that stuff but it's it's definitely an interesting twist apart from the characters all being dogs uh makes this stand out from other sherlock holmes adaptations 
so as far as I can tell, the Sherlock Hound doesn't directly adapt any of the original stories, um, but it uh, it does take a lot of the broad ideas and, and creates new original stories with them, uh, which is appropriate because this series as a whole, even the portions that Miyazaki did not direct, um, are built on his storytelling sensibilities, which are largely visual and largely different from what you're, you're going to find in those classic Sherlock Holmes stories. The series is very much an outlet for Miyazaki at that point in his career, when he was kind of straddling between between TV work and film work. So he directed the first six episodes. Later episodes were directed by Kiyosuke Mikuriya, best known as the, uh, well, best known as either the Loop on the Third Part 2 director or the Ulysses 31 director, uh, <laughs> depending, uh, you know, depending on which which means more to you. And U- Ulysses 31, I guess that's, a, that's another show oh, yeah. uh, I'm going to have to go back and, and look at again. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That I had have... a fantastic dubbed version uh, produced in Montreal. Yeah, yeah, I know. Really? Oh yep. well. yeah, the English yeah. dub it for Ulysses Thirty One. I think it it did air on TV in some markets, didn't it? It sure. aired in my in my market in Boston. Yeah, yeah. It did, yeah. yeah. Not yeah. a lot of places, and it only aired once. If you didn't see it the first time, you missed it. Yeah, but it was there. Yeah, it was uh, French only in Canada, and I uh, I have not gotten to it yet. But I'm uh, I'm really excited to check that out in the future. But yeah, uh, Kyosuke Mikuria kind of following the blueprint set by Miyazaki in those episodes to uh, to varying results. They're fine. Those episodes are fine. They're usually entertaining, but you know, they're, they're not the same as the ones that Miyazaki directed himself. Mm. So Sherlock Holmes in general is kind of unusual in that he's, uh, he's very much a modern popular culture figure who is uh, young enough to have kind of what we understand as a fandom uh, in a modern context, but he's also old enough to now be in the public domain. Um, well, for the most part. In the UK, he has been in the public domain since the 2000s. Um, the Doyle Estate still owns the copyright through questionable tactics uh for the final well they hold they hold the copyright on the later stories the and use that stories, and use yeah. that as leverage to keep the earlier stories hostage yeah essentially exactly. that's my understanding of it yeah uh, actually I, think... I, was, I mean sorry i was just wondering do you know how they allowed sherlock Holmes to happen so uh it's important i guess uh, it is there is a misconception that uh sherlock hound was made um, without authorization from the Doyle Estate, which is not true, because uh, it was not public domain at that time. It was fully owned. Everything was mm-hmm. owned by the Doyle Estate at that point. Um, but what happened, and we'll, we'll get into this in, in detail a little more, is that right. the Italian side was dealing with the, the rights and with the Doyle Estate, and they were n- kind of lagging. And the Japanese side was actually way ahead in production when they were still kind of sorting things out. Um <laughs> Uh, with the estate, and that uh, that created issues. Um, I, I don't think the like really precise legal issues are uh, are, are are really documented anywhere, or may, maybe Mike knows if they are. Um, but basically, no, no. My understanding matches yours. It's that yeah. you know there there was there was never like any any kind of contentious relationship. It's just that the paperwork wasn't done by the uh, time Miyazaki had gotten some episodes in the yeah. can. And uh, Miyazaki resigned from Telecom Animation Film in late 1982 to focus not just on uh, getting the Nausicaa film started, but also working on the Nausicaa comics. That was his big passion at the time. Yeah. Yeah, he would have been... Uh, he had started, he started the Nausicaa comics two years before uh, the film came yeah. out, so he, he would have been doing that at the same time that he was uh, mm-hmm. working mm-hmm. on this. Or he would have been at least starting it, because it was 81. Uh, but yeah, so... Doyle Estate now, I mean, I think that, that happened recently with Enola Holmes on Netflix. They're now claiming yes, that right. that uh, if if 
Sherlock Holmes shows emotion in certain ways that are reflective <laughs> of what shows up in those last ten stories. That's the version of Sherlock they still own, man. Yeah. Hands it, off. Yeah. This is not at all, not that different from what uh, the Montgomery estate does with Anne of Green Gables as well. My my understanding is that that has caused some problems oh, with getting uh, really? the oh, Anne of Green Gables anime out in uh, in English. Uh, oh. But you can watch it in English now. It's all on YouTube legally, uh, which is uh, Interesting. good news. Um, actually, um, Before Green Gables is also on YouTube now because of, uh, what's that new YouTube streaming service that... The chuds are always talking about. Yes, um, <laughs> I know which one you're talking anime about. Log. Anime Log. Anime Log, yeah. So Anime yes. Log, uh, has they are posting uh, episodes of Before Green Gables as well. Uh, they're in Japanese with English subtitles. Um, and it's about damn time we get to watch that crappy show, too, because that was partially funded by uh, uh, various tourism organizations in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> um, so before we get too far into production on, uh, on Sherlock Hound, I'll take a step back. I want to know what uh, everyone's personal background with Sherlock Hound is, or even just Sherlock Holmes in general. Um, I I don't have a lot to say. Uh, Sherlock Hound is something I wasn't really engaged with at all before I started uh, doing research for, for this podcast. Uh, it's something that was always cited as um, like the big Miyazaki thing that was on Canadian TV uh, before you know, anyone was, was watching the movies or that like a lot of people who had watched it didn't realize that, you know, it was directed by the same guy at that point or parts of it were. So this is all kind of kind of new to me. Uh, I, I The show definitely has a real uh, nostalgic feel to it, despite the fact that I never watched um, watched it as a child. So it was it was, a, it was a really nice experience for Sherlock Holmes. I my dad was always a big Sherlock Holmes fan. Um, and I think my first exposure to anything Sherlock Holmes related was The Great Mouse Detective. Uh, the the Disney oh. film with uh, Basil Baker Street and I watched it right. not knowing what it was. And my dad would always like point out, oh, that's supposed to be that character, and uh, like this is this yep. is this guy's Moriarty, this guy's Holmes, this guy's Watson, and they all live underneath the homes of the actual characters and all imitate <laughs> them in very <laughs> strange and disturbing ways. Holmes is not something I I, uh, I have re- I read a few of the stories, um, but I you know as with a lot of people, I think I've mostly absorbed it through different pop culture growing up. Mike, can you uh, mm-hmm. uh, tell us yeah. your uh, kind of background with everything? Yeah, sure. I mean, as far as Sherlock Holmes goes, uh, I, I did have a you know a, a mystery phase uh, mm-hmm. in, in my reading. It was actually started uh, in, in my teenage years when I discovered Lupin the Third and worked my way back to the Maurice LeBlanc stories. Uh, after I after I had gotten a number of those and read those, I got a couple of books of Sherlock Holmes stories and read a bunch of those. And uh, yeah, it's it's good, solid, straightforward mystery writing. Uh, I think a lot of those stories still hold up today. Oh, and for they sure. They are yeah. very. Very easy to obtain uh, at your library, and I, I recommend you check them out. Um, so you were you, you were more familiar with Herlock Sholmes first, is what you're saying? Uh, Hemlock Shears. <laughs> Hem- uh, Hemlock you know, Shears. <laughs> yeah, whatever you may choose to call it. But yeah. yes, uh, Arsène Lupin versus uh, versus Hemlock Shears or Sherlock Holmes or. <laughs> but uh, my, my my encounter with Sherlock Hound is an interesting one because you can use it as a framing device for how I got involved with with Discotech Media as as an occasional associate producer. Uh, I first came on at Discotech courtesy of a guy named Reed Nelson, who is uh, who is their big loop on the third curator. He brought me on to help do a co- couple of commentary tracks with him. Uh, but shortly after I started, uh, and there was an email chain where we were just like, okay, well, I'm writing liner notes for uh, for. Uh, you know, uh, Sherlock Hound, because we're going to reissue it on DVD. And in fact, you can still get it on DVD now. It's a, it's a good get. 
and and Reed was like, well, do you, you know, here are my liner notes. Do you do you have any input? And I and uh, this is when I piped up and I was just like, do you have the other dub? And they said, what other dub? And this is why they brought me on for to to track down stuff like that. Uh, in fact, there was a dub of one episode of Sherlock Hound uh, that was shown on HBO mm-hmm. in 1983. Uh, this was produced directly by TMS, and I had seen it uh, on television uh, dur- during the time it was aired. And uh, I had a very very bad copy of it, which I, I infuriatingly cannot find right now. Otherwise, I would have dug it up. But uh, as it happened, uh, that that version of Sherlock Hound could not be included. Uh, I don't remember if we were too late in the process of of getting the project finished, or if TMS didn't weren't clear that they still had chain of ownership of that particular dub. But that was that was one of those moments where they were just like, oh yeah, this is why we brought you on as an occasional consultant and producer because you're the guy that when we're like, okay, we're going to use these extras and these features, and I'm the guy that pipes up and is like, well, what about this other older dub? Yeah, it's interesting that, that that dub aired in HBO between the time that the legal issues were being sorted out, uh, between between 81 and 84. Which, yeah, uh, that's, I, that, that, that's very, very fascinating mm-hmm. to me. I, I, I would really love to know the story behind that, uh, in addition to the fact that it sound, there are no production credits, but it sounds like the dub was actually recorded uh, in Britain because uh, the, the, the accents sound a little more authentic. A couple of the names were changed. Uh, Moriarty's assistants are named uh, Nigel and Bruce instead of Happy and Smiley or whatever they're called. <laughs> they're, uh, they, well, one is Smiley. Uh, the, the other is, I think they settle on Todd, but at least in the Japanese okay. version, they, uh, his name keeps changing. They couldn't... Uh, <laughs> they couldn't quite settle on it. Um, he also changes color in the Makuria episodes. So yeah, I don't yeah. Know if you ever noticed that. Yeah. yeah. The the evil dogs are all like regardless of what color they are in a specific episode, they're all unnatural colors. Unlike. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> Correct. But that that's kind of my personal uh, stake in Sherlock Hound, and uh, also I, I was working uh, at Genion uh, as as a uh, copywriter and uh, and web author when they did uh, the initial DVD release of Sherlock Hound, so I got to enjoy it back then. Yeah. So it's it's something I've known about for a long time. The Miyazaki episodes are spectacular and essential and very, very interesting to watch. Uh, as you noted, they have almost nothing to do with, with the Holmes stories, uh, the Doyle stories, aside from the titles. Uh, I, I think that the Mercuria episodes are, are can be quite a bit closer, especially mm-hmm. certain episodes like the, the Rosetta Stone episode. That actually hues fairly close to, to the Doyle story. Uh, I think in general they're a little bit closer, but the, obviously if there's a lot of license going on there. There's aircraft. There's everyone has uh, those little steampunk cars. It's a little different. Yeah, and if you are if, if you are looking to watch Sherlock uh, Sherlock Hound, as Mike pointed out, the DVD uh, is still in print. It's a little little harder to get in Canada right now because um, discotech mm-hmm. stuff. <laughs> there's a, I know discotech has disc, nah, I know discotech has some uh, distribution issues in Canada and the U.S right now yep. uh so Still. yeah so Even uh, now. yeah but uh you, you can you can get your hands on uh on, on sherlock hound also um the whole thing is on youtube as well uh it, it has been for many years but actually just just this week um <laughs> and this is a total coincidence <laughs> uh tms actually re-uploaded the entire series in hd uh the bit rate is terrible and the episodes yep. are all in the wrong order. Uh, which yeah, can, I don't yeah. know why. Yeah, I. Yeah. I mean, that's that's not really a bitrate issue. I watched yeah. some of those, and that's that they they encoded those improperly. They need to they need to run those again, or, okay. may, or maybe maybe YouTube's uh you know automatic processing algorithm messed them up. But yeah, that's yeah. 
Because because occasionally they you know they really pop and they look great, but then stuff starts moving and it all turns to sludge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Better 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 identifying the issue on that than than me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're definitely higher resolution though. You can you can tell. Yeah. Uh, and they get those title cards back in too. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, so you know this is this series is very available uh, if you do want to check it out. Uh, and Chris. Okay. Uh, what's uh, your uh, what's your background with uh, with Sherlock Hound and or Holmes in general? Well, my background is both the same. Uh, actually, uh, my first introduction to Sherlock Holmes was uh, or and the work of uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is actually through uh, Sherlock Hound, mm-hmm. which I've watched uh, on the channel called Canal Famille in Quebec. Um, I think it was probably around sometime around the early 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 nineties. It's around ninety ninety one, I think. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, I, that, I don't, that, that broadcast started. Yeah. Yeah, I do not remember the exact dates, unfortunately. That's okay. Yeah. You were a child. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and well, as you mentioned, um, uh, I you just mentioned the name and I forgot it. It's the 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 mouse, the, the basil. Basil? Yeah. Oh, the Great Mouse Detective. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when I, because I, I actually I watched that uh, after Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. and I kept pointing out the similarities, and I was like, hey, <laughs> uh, why, why does it feel like they, they copied Sherlock Holmes? Because at the time I had no idea. For first of all, I had no idea that uh, Sherlock Holmes was an anime, uh, but also I had no idea that it was based on the work of uh, uh, Conan Doyle. Growing up, I can't say that. Uh, Sherlock Holmes uh, is something that I was really interested in, despite really uh, enjoying the the anime uh, as a kid. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you Sherlock Hound was so ingrained into you that when you saw Great Mouse Detective, you your senses went off. Thinking, is, is, yeah, did they copy this? <laughs> I had that a lot growing up with certain things, <laughs> like um, when I first saw Power Rangers, I was. Uh, very uh, outraged <laughs> that they copied what I assumed was an original concept of uh, Bioman. <laughs> <laughs> was Sherlock Hound, was it your first exposure to anything, something directed by Hayao Miyazaki? It was. Yeah. And also, I, 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 well, annoyingly, it was, yeah. Annoyingly? <laughs> yeah, because I, I mean, I, I didn't know who Miyazaki was at the time. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, when it, in 84, I mean, he wasn't unknown um, but he hadn't really made the name for himself that he had with uh, with Nausicaa and, and his later work, so it right, was think, understandable. I think, I think I'm, it's more like I found out he was related to uh, Sherlock Holmes uh, way later down my, in my life, mm-hmm. because um, so, so Sherlock Holmes growing up, uh, I, I really love anime music, and growing up, uh, the thing that, that stuck with me the most uh, was the the opening song? Yeah, it, yeah, it's uh, the the music in Sherlock Hound is great in general. It, and general, it's great. Yeah, but but the opening song, I really love the opening songs, and, and I found out that the French version actually used the same melody as the Japanese uh, original uh, yeah. music. Yeah, and, TM, TMS does that a lot with a lot, especially their international co-productions. They'll Kind of have the same. Uh, t- they'll they'll use like a have a same template of a song that we use uh, in mm-hmm. in all the different language versions, and they'll record record in different languages for for different regions. 
um, which is something something that's kind of built into uh, the Sherlock count. Although I know that it, there was a second broadcast on uh, Club Dorothée in France that had a different theme song. Um, what, what was the name of the guy who did the second theme song there? It's uh, Bernard Minet. Bernard Minet, yeah. Um, oh, that guy's no, awesome. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone yeah. who's really into international anime fandom has, has seen his stuff because he makes yes. those elaborate music videos. Yes. <laughs> He's, yeah, very well known for them. Um, I'm not I'm not a big fan of the uh, uh, the one he the one he did for Sherlock Hound, especially compared to the original. Uh, also, neat little Canadian connection. The French theme song of or the, the French version of the theme song for Sherlock Hound was uh, the vocalist was Amelie Maureen who uh, has been discussed quite a bit in this show. Um, she was, of course, one of the voice actresses from um, the Sally the Witch dub, Minnie Fay, And the reason is because that dub was produced by her mother, Bernadette Maureen. And she uh, she played one of the triplets, uh, which was absolutely a uh, nepotistic casting because those three triplets <laughs> are supposed to be played by one person. And there's no way to tell which character That's she's playing. Very so, interesting. Yeah. Um, but then she would she and she was also the Canadian voice of Candy Candy. And then when um, in France, when they redubbed portions of Candy Candy, she had moved to France at that point. And oh. um, and she was she had she became the voice of Candy Candy for those redubbed episodes. And since then, she's um. Yeah, she was uh, Sailor Venus, uh, Girl Type Ranma, or one of the voices of Girl Type Ranma. So she actually uh, gained quite a bit of notoriety as a voice actress in France later. Um, but yeah, she's uh, one of the things she's known for is doing that uh, that um, the French theme song for Sherlock Hound, and uh, that that is the only theme song we had in Canada. We never got the um, uh, the other one. The other one, yeah. Interesting. I mean, that, that, that ties into a question that I was going to ask Chris, like was, so was, was the Sherlock Hound French dub, was that a France dub or a Quebec dub? Uh, it appears like it was a mix of, uh, probably mostly Quebec dub. Okay. That, that doesn't surprise me. I know that a lot of, of, a lot of French language media is dubbed in Quebec. Actually, sorry, Chris, I don't mean to contradict you, but it was done oh, by Studio, right. Studio Sophie in, in France. But, um, oh, really? Yes, okay, yeah, yeah, Sophie is, that's a French company. Yeah, it was. Okay. <laughs> they, they went bankrupt in 2009, unfortunately. Oh. Uh, because yeah. the way they speak in, sorry, because uh, the, the way they speak is, is closer to, uh, what I'm used to hearing is that in, in Quebec, Quebec dubs have a way of saying things, and it was like kind of closer to that. So that's why I assume yeah. it was Quebec dub. We we, as we we've talked about that before a bit. How you oftentimes dubs that are done done in Quebec uh, don't sound like Quebec French. They yeah. go they try to make it sound like a more neutral metropolitan uh, French. Yes. Uh, usually, n- not necessarily because they want to distribute things um, internationally, but I guess there's just that impulse or that perception that um, that way of speaking French is more quote unquote neutral, much neutral, like, yeah. much like how, you know, dubbing that's done in the UK often tries to sound we'll try American. to sound American. Yeah. 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 So it's the same kind of thing. So, and then of course, I mean, many voice actors who work in France are from Quebec, like Amelie Maureen is one example. I, I it's not surprising that there's a, everything kind of blurs together at a certain point. That makes sense. Also just while, while we're on that note, um, one other thing that I uh, I noted in the credits, and I, I don't have an ear for this. I watched a couple episodes in in, um, in French, and I, I can't tell. But uh, the voice actors change quite frequently in in Sherlock Hound. In fact, I think the only actor who has 
who plays this, the character for the entirety of the series is um, Sherlock Hound himself. He's played by uh, Sergei Lorca, who uh, he's he's done like a ton of stuff, but he's mainly known for for the voice of various Muppets, and he's also the uh, the French voice of Yoda, or uh, the original really? French what? voice of Yoda. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, but uh, that, that's I think that's for the France dub of Star Wars. I um I don't know if Quebec had it. I I imagine that Quebec had its own dub of Star Wars. Yes, most likely. Yeah. So that's just a a France relevant thing. Um, but yeah, like Watson had two different actors, Jacques Maureen and Jacques Denam, who are character actors who have been in a million things. Amelie Maureen actually played Mrs. Hudson in a couple of episodes, but only in like two episodes. For the rest of the series, her voice was done by Francois Pavi. Um, who's, uh, that's Rosalie from Rose of Versailles, I think one of the bigger other anime that she's been in. And then, uh, Moriarty had a couple of different voices, but for most of the episodes, he's done by Gerard Hernandez, uh, also known as, the, better known as the voice of Gonzo. And here's something funny. Um, so in English, I don't know who, who does Moriarty's voice in English, um, but oh, he I is do. like, uh, <laughs> Mike can probably talk, talk, talk more about that, but, um, he's clearly trying to do a Skeletor voice. Uh, in English, more or less, um, which is really funny because he's not—he doesn't have the same voice actor as Skeletor. That's uh, no, not but, Alan Oppenheimer. Yeah, no, no. He's <laughs> I can not. see why you'd, make, you'd think he sounds like him, though. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, and I, I just found it really funny that Gerard Hernandez—he um, actually is the voice of Skeletor uh, in French, but he sounds nothing like Skeletor uh, in <laughs> no. that French dub. <laughs> actually, Mike, uh, is there anything you can say about the the English dub? I, I did no research on on that on that part oh yeah i mean uh the, the uh the, the the voice of sherlock hound himself is is kind of mysterious to me he's a guy named larry moss uh, and he, and i couldn't find any other credits for him so i'm assuming he was just a commercial uh voice actor in los angeles but the, the dub was produced in la it's all la actors um the uh the voice of uh, moriarty there who also seems to do the voice of about half of the incidental characters mm-hmm. is uh, yeah. he's quite good but you can always tell it's him it's a little distracting uh, he is, he was a character actor named, uh, Hamilton Camp, uh, who, who was just terrific, was all over the place on television and in cartoons, uh, mostly as minor players, as incidental voices. If you grew up in the 80s, uh, and watched a lot of cartoons, uh, in America, you will remember him as the voice of Gizmo Duck in DuckTales. Mm-hmm. That was, uh, that was one of his big. Oh, yeah. interesting. Gizmo Duck. But, um, and the, uh, I was gonna say I'm gonna to have to pull up my notes here. The voice of uh, of, of Doctor Watson, that's Louis Arquette, uh, who is also a, a screen and voice actor, mostly notable for being the father of uh, several famous actors: uh, Rosanna Arquette, uh, Patricia Arquette, and David Arquette. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. But he was a he was a you know he was a, a blue collar Hollywood guy who did all kinds of stuff. But uh, they all do pretty good uh, kind of Mary Poppins sounding uh, British accents. In, uh, in this version, yeah, it's and, uh, not, not convincing but appropriate. Yeah. That, that's <laughs> yes. a good way of putting it. Yeah, that's, that's how I describe it. It's just yeah. like you, you'll notice right away that these aren't actually British people, but they do a pretty good job. Yeah, on that note, I guess we'll we'll uh, we'll kind of just dive into the production history. I do wonder, based on the fact that uh, the French dub had some voice actors changing within, especially some of the earlier episodes, and as Mike mentioned, there was that other English dub that had a single episode that aired um, on HBO in 1983. I do wonder if TMS was already commissioning some episodes to be dubbed in different languages during that um, that time when the series was in limbo, and then kind of hit mm-hmm. the ground running um, after it actually started regular broadcast in uh, 
1984 everywhere. That's co- total speculation on my part. Well, that, that seems likely to me just yeah. because the uh, if 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 you go back and can find can find the original dub of that one episode and compare it to the later one that was done, they're very similar, almost identical, and uh, it's it's known that between the original Japanese version and the Italian version they commissioned an English translation of all the scripts just to kind of serve as a, as a simpler go between. Yeah. And that English script was kind of the skeleton key translation that was also used to produce the scripts for the French version, the German version, the Spanish version, etc. That's, and that, that, that's pretty commonly done now with, with overseas versions. So they'll try to create like an English or a French translation uh, that is like the master key translation that they will then, then use to translate to all the other Western languages. So the, uh, the idea of an anime based on, a uh, work of Western literature uh, co-produced between Italy and Japan was definitely not really any kind of a surprising project at that time because uh, there were a lot of strong relationships going on on the Japanese side and Italian side because, of course, Italy was one of the strongest markets outside of Japan for anime, if not the strongest market uh, at that mm-hmm. time. Uh, it may, maybe it may, You could argue it, it might even still be. Um, but uh, Sherlock Hound was actually... The concept started on the Italian side. It was pitched to uh, RAI's uh, development wing called uh, Rever. Mm-hmm. RAI is the national public broadcaster in Italy, and the concept was pitched by the brother and sister animator team uh, of Marco and Guy Pago. And they are the children of Nino Pago, uh, and he himself was part of a sibling animation team. He and his brother Tony uh, were actually a very famous animator duo, and they're best known as the creators of Calamero, um, which is like oh, this little... Uh, yeah. So, actually, you know what? Maybe, Chris, are you more familiar with, with Calamero? Have you seen, like, the shorts or even the old ads? I, think I, it, I watched a cartoon that was on Canal for me at some yeah. point. Yeah, because it started as um, advertisements that they produced. It was, uh, I think it was advertising some kind of cleaner. And at the start, the it was about a chicken who was always black, and then he'd be cleaned and be real that he's actually white at the end. I think that's kind of the premise of the cartoon as well. What? Really? Okay. What was that? I, I don't know. Uh, no, I haven't no. seen any of it. <laughs> well, so, so the, the cartoon I watched actually is, uh, is actually one of the... Uh, it was also Japanese produced, if I recall correctly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it was just basically the adventure of that, that chicken with his, like... The, I, I think the gimmick was the chicken as a sh- uh, egg shell on his head. And it's just... Kids having adventures. A fairly iconic character in, um, in in Italy, from what I understand. And there was uh, it's it started as ads. It had a an animated series in the 1970s, which um, I know Guy Pago worked on. I'm not sure if her brother Barco uh, did work on that one. Um, but it eventually did lead to a a similar co-production. I don't know if it was with. Mike, I don't know if you know about the the, the Italy Japan co production for for Calamero. Well, I know that there was a there was a TV series in in 1972. Yeah. Uh, that was that was directed by Yugo Serikawa and and animated at Toei uh, Animation. Okay, yeah. So yeah. that's that's the one. Um, I'm, I'm I, d- I didn't. I I knew it was like a river or RAI thing. I didn't know that there was like that was a Pago, a Pago family thing. That's very it interesting was, yeah. to me. That's yeah. that's where that concept uh, first came from. Um, and Marco and Guy, uh, you know, they they basically carried on their career from that point. Um, they're they're big before they kind of pitched Sherlock Hound. Uh, they were behind two um, sparsely animated interstitial programs from 1980. 
Uh, one was called the In- the Incredible Investigations of Inspector Na- Nasi or Nazi. Uh, you can there's a little bit of it on YouTube. It's like kind of a cross between Inspector Clouseau and Rocky and Bullwinkle, uh, but uh, the production values are obviously closer to Worker and Parasite. Um, from from my observation <laughs> on that, um, they did another one also called The Fantastic Travels of Tai and Yuan, uh, a similar interstitial mm-hmm. kind of program. And around that same mm-hmm. time, Marco Pago pitched this concept of of uh, Sherlock Hound uh, to RAI, Rand Rever, and his sister Guy did the initial character design work. RAI had uh, very close ties to many companies in Japan, and one of those companies was, of course, Tokyo Movie Shinsha, or TMS. Mm-hmm. They agreed to develop this TV series in partnership with RAI, and this was right after uh, Hayao Miyazaki had finished directing his first film and box office bomb, more or less, uh, Loop on the mm-hmm. Third Castle of Cagliostro. Yep. So I don't really know if there's much that has been written on any kind of relationship between Hayao Miyazaki and Marco Pago. G- given that Miyazaki named the main character in Porco Rosso after Marco Pago, I'm, I'm, I, yeah. I, I imagine there's there's something there. Would, would have to go to his biographies for yeah. that, and I, I, I'll confess I haven't read them uh, yeah. very closely. I know, that, I know that he's traveled to, he specifically traveled to Italy for production of this series, so you know, obviously he had he had met the uh, the Pago family. Again, the fact that he named a character after him, I think that that probably says a lot. Uh, again, I have not read the, I read not read the biographies either, so I uh, I, I can't mm-hmm. confirm. I'm not even sure if it's something they go into. In any case, the first six episodes, uh, the first six production episodes of Sherlock Holmes were helmed by Miyazaki, and they were developed in 1981 uh, by Telecom Studios, which is part of TMS. Mm-hmm. Other uh, others included the uh, the late Yoshifumi Kondo, who was a Studio Ghibli regular and most widely yep. known as the director of Whisper of the Heart, and, uh, and he was the character des- the initial character designer uh, on Sherlock Hound, and uh, also TMS regular Kazuhide Tobonaga. Uh, who's worked on mer- uh, many Lupin titles and was a storyboarder on Cyber Six mm, and a yeah. whole bunch of other a whole bunch of other TMS stuff. Uh, uh, Tomonaga is a, a great one. He yeah. he did the car chase scene in Castle Cagliostro. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, and uh, he was an uh, animation director and key animator. And uh, Todd and Smiley, uh, who are Moriarty's two henchmen, are caricatures of Kondo and Tomonaga, uh, which is is kind of funny. Um, Tomonaga mentioned in one interview. That uh, the, again, the production of the series began in Italy, and the designs that they were sent were like a flatly designed, kind of similar to Pink Panther. And Miyazaki didn't like that, and he wanted to draw characters in a realistic space uh, rather than a flat surface with a cartoon movie-like pattern. There was apparently a lot of trouble uh, between the Japanese and, and um, Italian sides in sort of working that out. He also mentioned that they um, they weren't actually able to travel to London, and uh, they they got most of the materials that they based the um, environments off of from the the British Council, and uh, th- that was kind of their basis for that. And there, there's some early concept art floating around. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, interestingly, uh, Mrs. Hudson is a human uh, in in some of the pictures, and I think there's even uh, some with Sherlock Hound doing drugs, um, as <laughs> which is of course merely implied uh, in the uh, the final version, uh, as it is with every version of Sherlock Holmes. But what they eventually I mean, Mrs. Mrs. Hudson looks like a human in the final <laughs> the final series, just with a, a little doggy nose and dog yeah. ears. It ve- yeah, Sherlock Holmes very much follows the same rules as Goof Troop, in terms yep, of how, yep. how, how they, <laughs> how, and how they anthropomorphize their characters. Also, nobody ha- none of the characters have tails, uh, which is a uh, oh yeah, I just realized yeah yeah <laughs> they're streamlined in interesting ways. But every character is a dog, and every other type of animal does exist as an animal. There are there are cats that are pets and and uh, stray animals that are that are um, sitting around and the the show 
it doesn't often acknowledge the fact that uh, that they are dogs. It doesn't play into that very much. But um, there's a there's a, there's a bit of angry growling that happens in one of the episodes we're looking at later, which was uh, which is kind of fun. Yeah. So as we touched on earlier, everything was going really smoothly and quickly on the Japanese side, uh, but the Italian side, who were working on the negotiations with the Doyle estate, um, they were they were falling behind. Problems came up that were unexpected, and ultimately this resulted in funding being cut from the Italian sponsors, and the project had to get shelved because, again, it just kind of turned into a giant mess. So they had completed episodes that they weren't able to do anything with. And also this Stalin production was also compounded further by a little uh, a little production called Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland, uh, which is uh, certainly a title that left its mark on uh, many of the animators at uh, at TMS at that time. Yeah, I mean that was that was the white whale of the uh, of the head of the studio. Yeah. Who, you know, almost he almost sank the entire company trying to get that film done. Yeah. Everyone who worked uh, at or with TMS in that period uh, had some hand in that film. So this situation is uh, famously what freed up Miyazaki to direct Nausicaa with Topcraft Studios and then go on to start Studio Ghibli. Uh, Sherlock Hound wasn't completely buried, uh, as we we talked about before. One episode was dubbed and aired on HBO in 1983 uh, in a very not widely seen dub. It was a, of Broadcast Order Episode 3, A Small Client, mm-hmm. which was the first production order episode, I believe. Uh, yep. So this and this also leads me to speculate that they may have been doing some dubbing in other languages as well, which is why you know cast changes and stuff happened in, in the French version. But the release of Nusko, the Valley of Wind, in 1984 created an opportunity to revive this pro- this project with the help of Tokuma Shoten, who licensed basically two of these production episodes. Um, of Sherlock Hound to be released alongside Nausicaa as a double feature. Interestingly, uh, just to be as safe as possible with the the Doyle estate, uh, the names of most of the characters except for uh, Sherlock Holmes and Watson were changed uh, for this release to sort of just get around those problems or at least not uh, not poke the bear. Uh, yeah, that's I, that's very fascinating to me. Yeah. That, that, my understanding is that there is a dubbed version that was basically only shown in theaters before Nausicaa that had some different cast members and different yeah. names. Yeah, I think the only version that ever got released on home video was the, the one that was ultimately broadcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was obviously a very successful run, and the positive reception helped create leverage to uh, resume production of the series, work things out with the Doyle estate, and get things going everywhere uh, only without the involvement of Miyazaki and many of the uh, many of the folks who you know really made those first six episodes what they were so the additional 20 episodes which rounded out to a uh, 26 episode order which was un- unusually small for that time I think most most adaptations like that would normally run 52 but uh, you know, I don't know the circumstances or decisions that go into to, to making that stuff but as we uh, we mentioned uh, Kiosuke Mik- uh, Mikiria uh, handled uh, those uh, the last bunch, um, but it appears that most of the episode, most of the actual animation production, was not done by Telecom. It was done by Studio Gallop. They did like every three of four episodes or something like that. So a lot of this wasn't even really being done directly by TMS. And uh, just one more note: uh, a few similar co-productions between TMS and RAI did emerge a few years after. Uh, Sherlock Hound completed its production. Uh, one was Reporter Blues, uh, which aired in 1991. It was actually directed by Kenji Kodama, who was the, the City Hunter director and the director of the second season of Cat's Eye. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I had never heard of this thing uh, before I started oh, really? uh, researching this. Yeah, it was totally new to me. It, well, even though it aired in, in French, but this yeah, one never French, aired yeah. in Canada. Um, but I think, uh, Chris, we were talking earlier, you mentioned you did see it in, in Benin. 
Yeah, I did watch Studio Benin, yeah. That's one of those productions that seems to have been dubbed and aired in every major language in the West except English. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's very strange, and so much of the backbone of the story is is, is ostensibly in English. Yeah. But yeah it, the theme song's that, in English, too. Yeah. Is, the lyrics yeah. are terrible. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Mike, have you, have you seen any of it? Oh yeah, yeah. I've seen I've seen several. I mean, it's fascinating to me because it's a it's one of those great uh, you know the, the character designs are by Akio Sugino, who is uh, who did the character designs for Ashitano Joe and Rosa Versailles and Blackjack and all these great classic series. And the, his design work in that it's like it's it's recognizably his work, but it has like a Western Saturday morning yeah. cartoon vibe going yes. on. Yes, yes. So it's it's really different. It's really its own thing. And uh, th- this is something that we've inquired about with with TMS for licensing, and uh, it's there's there's a knot there that we haven't been able to untangle, and I think it's because there are several different parties that own rights to it, and uh, and and TMS uh, doesn't have all of them at hand because when we when we've asked about it, they, they've told us it's not available for licensing right now. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's something I I would love to uh, to bring to the English speaking world somehow. But uh, yeah. it's a very yeah, fascinating yeah. series. Yeah, I would love to revisit revisit it because uh, I mentioned to Jesse, but when I watched it, I was, I think I was about ten years old, and most of it completely went over my head. Mm-hmm. I think it is on YouTube. For what I've been able to to see of this show, it looks like it's very a very high quality series, but the uploads on YouTube are unwatchable. It looks it looks so bad you can't you can't really tell what mm-hmm. anything is. Um, unfortunate. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I hope uh, that, that might be something to look into. I'd like to look into a little more in the future. Um, the mm. other co-production that Marco and Gipago worked on with uh, with TMS was Montana Jones uh, in 1994, which is basically furry Indiana Jones. Uh, from from what yep. I've uh, been able to to discern, I have not seen any of this before, but I think uh, you guys you guys have uh, are more familiar with it. I have never heard about it. Before. No. Well, Mike, oh, Mike I hope, is. Mike I was is. hoping you might have seen a little of it because it's yeah. it's yet another show that that uh, it seems like it would have been tailor made to have been dubbed into English at some point and never was. And it never was, was dubbed into Italian and it was dubbed into French. But I I, know, I only know about it because I've seen an episode or two. And yeah, it is very much a furry Indiana Jones thing. A couple of years ago, one of the guests of honor at Anime North was was Junko Iwao. Uh, she's mm-hmm. the voice of uh, the main character in Perfect Blue. She is the voice of the sidekick character in Cardcaptor Soccer with the video camera. I can't believe I can't remember her name. Uh, Tomoyo. Tomoyo, yes. <laughs> Tomoyo. Mad- Madison. Yeah, Madison. Yes, <laughs> Madison. that's right. <laughs> but her breakout role was in Montana Jones. Mm, yeah. Like, and, and, and that it happened because she was she was cast as one of the female leads, and in between takes, she would sing along with the theme song, and that caused the director to say, you have a good voice, so I'm gonna, we're going to have you sing an insert song, and that launched her whole career. <laughs> oh, wow, so she spent wow. a lot of her panel at Anime North talking about Montana Jones, and I was like the only person in the room who knew what, what that was. Uh, if you ask me, Montana Jones and Sherlock Hound—that's like the same cinematic universe, man. <laughs> I'm certain of it. Well, there, there is a there is another uh, RAI series uh, from from '94 called Soccer Fever. Soccer Fever, yes. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. was that was specifically a World Cup thing, and that's that's one that w- that supposedly was dubbed in English, but I cannot find any episodes in English. See, this rings that's a that. bell. I think I remember this existing. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I can't. I'm not sure if it aired in Canada. I know. I know. I've heard of this before. Um, I have not heard yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I maybe I need to do a little digging. I can't. I can't yeah. pin it down. I've watched um, a lot of soccer anime, but that one <laughs> that yeah. that doesn't ring a bell. Yeah. yeah. Same. Like you. You can find stills, and I think maybe a clip or two on YouTube, but it's very obscure. Yeah. yeah. So 
what we're going to do in this episode, we're going to take a look at one episode directed by Hayao Miyazaki, one episode directed by Mikuria, and just kind of break it down from beginning to end. So the episodes I picked are, well, the broadcast order uh, for the first one is episode 10, The White Cliffs of Dover. Um, if you're looking for it on YouTube, it's currently episode 6. And the uh, the other episode will be episode, uh, broadcast episode 22, Disturbance, the World Flight Championship. Uh, that is episode 25, if you look that one up on YouTube. Um, so uh, let's talk a little about the opening. There are clip show credits for both the opening and the ending. I love that still shot that it starts off with, with the title. Uh, you just see Sherlock yes. uh, slouched over the couch with his hat pulled over his eyes. A, a neat way of establishing character right from the start. Most of the cuts of animation they use in the opening uh, are actually they're all from the Miyazaki episodes. All of them, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. in fact, I w- I'm sure that Miyazaki did many of these cuts of animation himself, and they are some of the best uh, that you'll see in the entire series. As we mentioned before, the French version of the opening was by Amelie Maureen. The English version, unfortunately, does not have any lyrics. That's a shame. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, it's uh, entirely instrumental. Yeah. Uh, Mike, did you inquire about uh, about singing your own version for it? No, no, I did not. I would not do that. Oh, uh, that's too bad. You'd find a better singer to do that. <laughs> um, this is also it's it's also emblemic. If you track down the Italian version, they have their own opening theme that is completely different in structure from, oh, the, really? uh, from the international opening. Yeah. Oh. So just like with yeah. Loop on the Third Part Four. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's very it's very fascinating to me. It's one of those things that yeah it's it's not enough to, for them to have their own lyrics, but in a lot of Italian openings in the seventies and eighties, it's a completely distinct song. Mm-hmm. Even though it's using some of the same footage. So we begin the episode with Watson uh, waking up. Uh, he is a terrier uh, in this in this show, uh, and uh, we we hear a bit of his voice. I know in in French this isn't so much the case, but he's he's definitely pretty bumbly in the English dub, as uh, as Watson often is. Always makes me think of that uh, that Kate Beaton comic, the case of the two Watsons, which are <laughs> kind of comparing the the original more. Uh, Serious and dignified Watson to the yeah the war... serious dignified war veteran versus yeah. the bumbling idiot <laughs> yeah um, but uh, you know I, th- I think a lot of cartoons generally draw more from the latter but he's not you know he's he's not he's not a, a complete nincompoop or anything like that he's waking up uh, on his balcony uh, getting an eyeful of Mrs Hudson which establishes one of the things that sets this apart from uh, most adaptations of Sherlock Holmes is that everyone is horny for Mrs Hudson. Uh, well, yeah, she's, a young, she's a young lady in there. Yeah, she's usually she, yes. portrayed a little bit older. Yeah, she's always portrayed older. This is, I yeah. mean, I, I'm no furry, but uh, this is definitely the, the youngest, sexiest Mrs. Hudson, I think, <laughs> in any version of, of Sherlock Holmes. And even even Holmes himself. Uh, oh, Jesse, you're telling on yourself, man. <laughs> uh, even Holmes himself seems to have a thing for her, which, is, again, is a big departure uh, from the... The, the original uh, the original stories but um, yeah he, he gets an eyeful of Mrs. Hudson uh, who is uh, she's a collie uh, out in the garden and she greets him and this um, again highlights that that whole thing and I, I think the the reason for this change I think Miyazaki wanted her to be a more active character um, in in the yeah. series than she typically is and this is definitely this episode is definitely one of the best examples of that Sherlock over in the next window is brushing his teeth uh, very shaggy rundown version of the character you don't you don't get too many shots of him like this but you know, I, I always appreciate when they throw the the, the little rundown expressions uh, every now and again with the character. Um, and these pleasantries are interrupted by a biplane that flies by as part of the new air post service. 
uh, that is uh, running between London and Paris and and arrives on the scene and crashes nearby. Uh, Sherlock and Watson rush out to investigate, uh, and in a very memorable moment, Mrs. Hudson outraces both of them with an axe in hand. Uh, that and shows that that scene, yeah. is, that scene is incredible. It's so great. You do yep. not see it coming. It's just like suddenly, yeah, Mrs. Hudson, she will fuck you up. Um, but she she races with her uh, with her axe to uh, to free the pilot, and we then see the plane explode in glorious pornographic detail, uh, which is something we're going to see a lot of in this episode. Is uh, planes exploding, falling apart, discombobulating in all sorts of creative and detailed ways. Part of what catches my eye in this particular episode is mm-hmm. that I, I think I, you know certainly Miyazaki didn't draw all the frames of the animation himself, but I bet he drew all the planes. Oh yes, <laughs> that, that 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 Air yeah. Force plane that crashes—that is totally a Miyazaki plane, and oh, I'm sure yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's obviously based on a real plane that really existed. But no, that's his thing that he wanted to do. Yeah. So we got to draw a plane crashing. Yeah, and uh, there's that neat little shot of uh, of Sherlock Holmes with the uh, the tail of the plane uh, hanging around his neck, um, <laughs> in the in the aftermath of that. And from a distance, we are introduced in this episode to Professor Moriarty, who is in. Every episode of this series, except the first broadcast episode. And a very side note, I just want to, I'm going to say, I, I find it's, it's kind of like a shame, because some of my favorite episodes are the episodes where Moriarty is not the main focus. He is, mm-hmm. uh, he's not always the main focus in every episode, but he is, he is in all but one episode. Yeah. And it's a little, you know, it's kind of disappointing. Well, I think it's a lot of surprising. It's surprising a lot of the time because Miyazaki is so well known for not having villains. And yet we we have in this show Moriarty is a very formulaic uh, villain yes. that they, they fall back on a lot. I've, I've said, I said, I think I said back in the, the Cat's Eye episode that with the way TMS approaches TV shows a lot, there's two sides to it. There's the TMS we know that focuses a lot on like really lavish, uh, extravagant animation, and the side of TMS that figures out a formula for something, and they just latch onto it and grind stuff out as much as possible, which we see in like Cat's Eye and and Detective Conan, and I, actually I think I think both sides of TMS are are something that we can thank Loop on the Third for, uh, because mm-hmm. they uh you know they learned that's where a lot of, they built a lot of their reputation on extremely good animation and formulaic storytelling that uh, can still remain pretty solid for a continuous... How, how many episodes mm-hmm. was Loop on the third part, too? It was 180, 85, I think? Some, um, yeah. Something like that, 178, yeah. 178, something like, like just shy of 180 yeah. is, is, is how I remember it, because Kiyosuke Makudia directed just over half of them. Yeah. But uh, Professor Moriarty, in this version, he's a, he's a wolf in a white tuxedo, uh, he lives in complete squalor all the time, but he uh, he 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 wears that tuxedo and monocle. It's always nice and clean. He's he's all about appearance and putting an absurd amount of effort into ridiculous schemes. And he is he is very much a cartoonish villain in this series. And spoiler alert, he is in almost every episode. He is the culprit, and and Sherlock Hound usually figures this out within about six or seven minutes. Oh, sometimes even faster. Sometimes even faster <laughs> than that. The average is about, about about six minutes, I find. But yeah, there these these stories aren't really mysteries at all. It maybe even devalues uh, Holmes a little bit as a detective in the fact that it's always the same solution, more or less. But whatever, that's yeah, not, like, that's not the point. He doesn't do any de- detective work. 
He does. Yeah, he, he does. Just, a little he bit. waits to spot Moriarty and said, "Aha, it's Moriarty." <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, Moriarty always leaves some kind of, of piece of evidence behind, as he does in this episode as well. Um, but yeah, big giveaway right from the start. Moriarty is the one behind this this plane crash, and the pilot Tommy uh, was a friend and fellow airman to uh, Mrs. Hudson. As we, also, I believe, this episode is the first one that reveals that her first name is Marie. Uh, and uh, her late husband, we don't know exactly what happened to him, but uh, he was also a pilot, and it's implied that he died in some kind of... We know he was a Cocker Spaniel, because yeah, you see that photo of yes. <laughs> those big floppy ears. Yeah, and uh, I do like that little... Uh, we get a brief flashback, I, I think it's either at this point or a little later, a very Porcaroso mm. kind of flashback with uh, yeah. with with them and the gang, and I, I, I that's a really nice touch. That was a real nice touch. But uh, yeah, Tommy was a uh, friend of theirs, and he thanks them for uh, saving all the letters from being burnt, and that the new airmail service from London to Paris is struggling because, uh, interestingly, every single plane that has been sent out uh, has faced some kind of terrible accident. Holmes uh, inspects the wreckage of the plane, and he sees a, fu- um, a hole in the fuel line and knows that it is a uh, sabotage. Everyone heads down uh, to the, uh, to a nearby airfield in a uh, scenic countryside drive. Uh, that gives us a good glimpse of the types of automobiles uh, we see people driving around in. So, some slightly realistic old-timey cars, but most of them are just like these totally ridiculous steampunk contraptions with the most really impractical steering and levers sticking out everywhere. <laughs> um, and they, I, I think they, they meet, they meet up with, uh, with uh, Mrs. Hudson's friend, the count. Uh, and he comments on their mundane vehicle. Uh, Cause theirs just isn't crazy and steampunky enough. And uh, Watson doesn't take that very well. They uh, arrive at a big crowd, all very happy to see Mrs. Hudson. And it should be emphasized that as suggested earlier that everyone was very jealous that uh, Mrs. Hudson's husband uh, was the one to snag her in the end. So uh, upon arrival, Sherlock and Watson inspect the airplane, and uh, then we cut to Moriarty's uh, squalorly base, uh, and we see him with his henchmen Todd and Smiley. Uh, they're eating a very unappetizing-looking uh, looking fish. So what's happening is Moriarty is basically starving everyone because he's investing <laughs> all of his money into postage stamps, uh, and at the same time he's sabotaging these planes in the hope that by with None of the mail being delivered to this service. It would increase the value of these stamps, and he can sell them all to stamp collectors and make a killing, which, uh, again, is completely ridiculous and highlights that Moriarty is able to put lots of work and effort into things, but they're always very unnecessarily complicated. and um, weird schemes, like... And I, I, again, it just highlights that he's that he's a hardworking, committed guy uh, whose objectives just aren't in the right place. He's <laughs> right. Uh, he it would be better if he was more like that other anime Moriarty and uh, fought for for mm. the underclass and and fought to eat the rich and stuff. But uh, no, he just comes up with these absurd schemes. Watson and Holmes investigate this a little further, and then they are captured by by Todd and Smiley and get tied up in the airplane hangar. Moriarty uh, reveals the scheme to them and uh, reveals that he sabotaged the plane and also has prepared nitroglycerin uh, in a convenient little jar with a poison sign on it. And I, I like stuff like that a lot because even if you're watching it in a different language, um, you can very easily follow the story uh, mm-hmm. well because uh, mm-hmm. it's the the storytelling, the, the way everything is structured is so visually driven, even if you don't catch every detail. Um, you, can fo- you can follow what's happening. So the next day, uh, Tommy begins his flight for a, for a delivery, and Mrs. Hudson begs him not to leave, uh, believing the plane has been sabotaged. Uh, we get some real nice Miyazaki uh, flowing grass as the plane takes off, which, uh, you know, the, 
the, the type of detail where he's not just emphasizing the aircraft, but how they influence the environment around them. And like the, the kind of thing you see a lot of in Porcaroso when the wind rises and, and, and all that stuff. Yep. Then we have a very intense scene where uh, Sherlock tries to break the ropes using the smoke from his pipe. And he's always smoking a pipe uh, in, in like every shot in this. Um, he uses the pipe to burn the rope, uh, and uh, Watson is, is all sweaty and nervous as that happens. Um, so it's a nice little sequence. Uh, and then as Tommy takes off, Sherlock bursts out of the airplane hangar on an old-timey bike. And this is one of the shots they use in the opening credits. In the opening, And, and a really great one. Still smoking his pipe, of course. Um, and somehow he's able to cause the bike to leap up and grapples onto the plane. Uh, Watson also tries to do this, but he falls onto the ground after... Uh, Again, part of the plane, plane breaks off at the bottom. And then Moriarty takes off in his own trademark ter- uh, pterodactyl pink plane. <laughs> yeah, um, which yeah. Is, this, a this, plane this is that deep. looks like a monster. Yeah. Yes. Very so important. This, this is uh, Moriarty. He has a few different aircrafts as the series go, but this is the uh, this is the go-to. Is his pterodactyl. Yeah. His pterodactyl pink, plane. With a, pink pterodactyl. Yeah, with a, yeah, with a flat front. It's a, it's a, it's a real fun design. So uh, Mrs. Hudson's friends, they all take off in their own planes or they try to at least because they've all been sabotaged and we get uh, extended sequences of all these planes breaking apart in a real fun variety of ways. Uh, and you see all the debris flying around. Uh, I'm sure Miyazaki, he, he, again, he probably didn't draw all of them, but he was probably very specific in making sure that they were, they all came out in a, in a very certain way with different. Well, I'm, I'm sure he, he, he made sure those plane designs were the ones that were used. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it, it echoes his work both in, in, uh, the Lupin the third, uh, Albatross episode and, and later on, uh, Actually, what that brings to my mind is when they try to launch all the vintage aircraft in the Cowboy Bebop movie, and half of them are falling <laughs> apart. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, so maybe that's, that's a callback to this. Maybe, episode. yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a, I didn't think about that one. Uh, I haven't watched that movie in quite a while. I should uh, should go back to it soon. With their uh, aircraft broken, the pilots all pile into a small normal car and chase after them. And that's another uh, Miyazaki trademark: is having a whole bunch of characters either pile into or out of a small space. And we we mm-hmm. see a. A bit more of that. There's no, there's no um, police officers in this episode, but uh, you see a lot of dog, uh, a, a lot of police dogs going, uh, piling into cars and 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 chasing after, uh, chasing after Moriarty in quite a few episodes. Sherlock hangs onto the plane because uh, he's trying to search for the nitroglycerin that's been planted uh, somewhere on the plane. And this whole sequence, he again, he he turns into Lupin basically and and contorts yeah. his body in a variety of ways. Uh, well, it's a very Buster Keaton kind yeah, of thing, yeah, you know, to, yeah. to, 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 to you know, scramble back and forth on the wing of a plane in flight. Yeah, De- definitely not something you'd expect of Sherlock Holmes uh, <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> uh, but he's, he's basically trying to repair the plane as it's falling apart in, in a variety of ways. Uh, eventually, the sun shines down and reveals to, to Sherlock that the nitroglycerin is inside the wing. Uh, not much of a deduction, uh, but, you know, it's fine. So then uh, Moriarty reveals all of the uh, the claws and saws and different uh, and different weapons he has hiding in uh, in his plane in his pterodactyl plane and tries to claw uh, yeah, the, the wings. To, yeah, tries to tear the wings apart uh, in any way that he can. Um, yeah, Sherlock loses both of his shoes in the process and uh, Moriarty, <laughs> yeah. both of them. Uh, Moriarty tears apart the whole wing, which reveals the nitroglycerin. Uh, and then uh, Mrs. Hudson asks for Watson's gun, and from the moving car, she shoots the rope that Moriarty has attached to the other plane, uh, and then she shoots down Moriarty's plane, and on the way down, it knocks the nitroglycerin 
onto Moriarty's plane, which then explodes, um, and they all uh, they all blast off. Worth mentioning that while well, Mrs. Watson's car driving scene was pretty amazing as well. This this is like the biggest flex in the episode too. Mm-hmm. Uh, she chases down the plane, it catapults into the air, and and in, again in a shot that I think is in the ending credits, and it's such a great mm-hmm. shot with uh, with Sherlock and Tommy jumping into the car, and Tommy is just like kind of. Uh, swimming through the air for a bit as he Swim, tries to catch yes. on. Yeah. And, that, and that's her second car, too. She's yeah. already burned out one yes. hot rod. Yeah. 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 Pace, and she just happens upon one of her friends driving another one yeah. and takes the wheel. Yeah, it's no, it's no wonder everyone loves Mrs. Hudson in this series. She is so I mean, cool. She's so, she's cool. so cool. Yeah. She's so cool, I know. And then, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then we had my favorite, my favorite bit in the episode when they land right on the edge of the cliffs of Dover and they swerve so unnecessarily <laughs> right to the edge um it is just the 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 way the weight is done in this the the intensity it's it's such a great little bit I, like i said it's so unnecessary but it just it ends the episode just on the or the it ends the climax off on the perfect note um mm-hmm. and it's it's, it's an absolute joy to watch so yeah then uh, sherlock explains to everyone what moriarty had been planning Moriarty, Todd, and Smiley, they go back to eating the same unappetizing fish as before, and uh, Watson and Holmes read in the newspaper that the air post is back in service. And then we uh, we end with a shot of the uh, the air post plane flying overhead. Uh, I think that's definitely my favorite episode of the series. It has everything mm-hmm. that makes this uh, this series unique. I don't think anything, as far as TV episodes that Miyazaki has directed, I don't think anything tops that last, uh, that last loop on the third part two episode, but there's a lot to love in this one for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think this this was the I don't know the, uh, was this the second production episode uh, I'm not I'm not sure I don't think I don't think it was the last one he did for this it was the sixth one that was the produced same. it was his last one that he did and it was aired uh, tenth because oh. they they had started mixing the uh, Mercuria episodes in by then they it was first aired in uh, January of 1985 okay so maybe this was the very last thing he did do for television and yeah he was, yeah. High, uh, ends on a high note for sure. And yeah, the the ending credits. Uh, worth noting that while there's a French dub for the opening, uh, there is no French dub for the ending theme. The ending yeah, theme yeah. actually just plays the uh, the opening again, the Amelie Maureen song. Um, which is too bad. I like uh, Dance on the River Tam. I like that song a lot, and I mm-hmm. wish they did a French. Uh, version of it uh, even the even the instrumental version they use in the english dub is pretty good and i, I gotta say they uh again going along with the really great shots they use everywhere that final shot with like the cat trotting by with the kitten following it like that that really f- feels like the thing that if you watch this as a kid that's like the kind of thing that would just stick in your mind forever at the uh at the end of each sherlock hound episode i'm not sure chris as someone who watched it as a kid i'm not sure if you have any uh any feelings I- on that but not not really because I think I was like more stuck with the music rather yeah. than the actual shots. That's okay. So it's good music for sure. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a great collection of shots they use again in the the ending. And I I love I love the bit with uh, the woman handing uh, Holmes and Watson glasses of wine as they're uh, flying by in that one flying contraption. I can't remember what episode that one is from. But anyway, good stuff. So any other thoughts on that episode? Well, one one of the uh, staff of that episode, uh, the the screenwriter for it, was a guy named Sunao Katabuchi, and yes. uh, he 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 went on to become a great uh, anime director. Uh, he directed uh, In This Corner of the World, Black Lagoon, yeah, and uh, that was that was one of his first professional jobs after leaving college. When he was a senior in college, he met uh, Miyazaki at a special seminar uh, when they were doing the last set of Lupin the Third episodes. Mm-hmm. And so he he got the opportunity to uh, to be a screenwriter on uh, on some of those uh, I, I on believe, some of those uh, Sherlock Hound episodes. I believe he was a screenwriter on five of the six, and and the 
Yeah. With me, with Miyazaki actually writing the the first one he produced. Yep. Um, so yeah, again, uh, yeah, so stellar, that's, that's very stellar staff. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we'll uh, move on to one of the uh, Mikuria episodes, episode 22, Disturbance, uh, the World Flight Championship. As we as I kind of highlighted before, um, these episodes are kind of following the template of the Miyazaki episodes. Uh, this pro- this one is probably the one that comes the closest. It focuses on uh, a lot of flying and, and uh, an air competition. Weirdest air competition ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's but... uh, pretty weird, and again... Uh, very ridiculous uh, Moriarty motivation again, um, <laughs> yes. because he basically in this episode he tries to to hijack this competition, and it's not really clear why. Because uh, I don't think did they state did they state anything about a prize? No, he just wanted to win. He, he just wants to win. Um, yeah, and I think I think that's why maybe that's that why weird Hol- too. Moriarty definitely seems to do things for the glory uh, a lot of the time. I think there was one episode that actually emphasized that that he just wants recognition. Yeah, um, I think it's the episode where he actually gets outshined by another uh, thief. Yes, yes, that and, one. And you mentioned yeah. he, actually, he wants to be the Na- Napoleon of crime. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and maybe that's why um, Sherlock Holmes is able to catch him so easily because he he know he knows what his motivation is uh, yeah. in in most cases. Um, this episode is it Matt McBain or Mac McBain? I couldn't hear clearly. Uh, I think it's Mac. Matt, whatever. We'll we'll go with Matt. To Matt McBain, uh, who's just completed a new airplane engine. He's showing it off to his wife, Helen. Uh, They leave to celebrate to have a night on the town. And then, of course, Moriarty and company sneak in to steal the engine. Todd bumps into Moriarty. uh, He drops his lamp, and that sets the workshop on fire. And uh, then they have no choice but to race behind a tree and hide as the fire engines arrive. Uh, Hound and Watson see the fire engines out the window. Uh, Mrs. Hudson points out that her friends, Matt and Helen, live in that industrial area near near the river town that they're heading to. uh, And that's where the fire is coming from. So the three... Drive down there. Upon arriving, Sherlock Hound introduces himself and pushes past the police. And while this is happening, uh, Todd and Smiley pull two passing firefighters into a bush. Uh, they crudely and comically beat them up and steal their uniforms uh, along with Moriarty to escape. <laughs> Matt and Helen return home to find their home on fire. And in searching the debris, Holmes finds the lantern. Matt points out that he had an engine for an upcoming race with Peaks uh, Sherlock's interest. Sorry, I'm saying Holmes. I should be saying Hound. Uh, but anyway... McBain obviously is very frustrated that he's no longer able to win the race. Sherlock identifies uh, the fabric he found in the hangar as being Moriarty's. So mystery solved. I think I timed this one at about six minutes, which is uh, where I got my figure from before. (laughs) So uh, in the next bit, we encounter a regular character who hadn't appeared in the previous episode. So it's worth noting that in Sherlock Hound, most of the classic minor characters that you've seen a lot of the adaptations from Doyle's stories like Irene Adler and Mycroft Holmes, they're completely absent um, in this version. But there is one supporting character from the books who is very prominent in this show, uh, and once you see him, you will understand why. Uh, so it is Lestrade, um, inspector from Scotland Yard, and he is basically just Zenigata. He is dog. He is dog Zenigata, and he uh, is is he a bulldog? He looks. Kinda I think like he's a, a he's a bulldog. Yeah, he's bulldog yeah. Zenigata. <laughs> he is he is more Zenigata than he is any kind of dog. <laughs> and so he is, of course, the uh, Scotland Yard detective who consults with Sherlock. And we we don't see him in his at his most Zenigata in this episode, but usually when. He's involved with a lot of scenes that have pile of police dogs chasing after Moriarty or all piling into cars or big elaborate chase sequences. A lot of the time it seems that they 
really want to have Lestrade chase um, chase Holmes, but they can't because the story doesn't justify that. They can't they can't go full loop on um, all the time. So uh, we see Lestrade uh, being driven around, and an engine is dropped from the sky into his car uh, from Moriarty's pterodactyl plane. Uh, and Lestrade immediately identifies it as such. And uh, here, I was talking earlier about how there's a lot of angry growling in this episode, and he's uh, he, he gets pretty growly in this bit. Um, rare moment where they, they kind of play into the characters as dogs, which uh, they don't do very often at all. Uh, we get a small chase sequence, uh, and then Moriarty escapes flying under London Bridge. Ultimately, not a whole lot going on in this bit. It's it's a, it's a little a, a little fillery. Uh, Sherlock Hound finds uh, the abandoned fire engine and fire uniforms that uh, that Moriarty and Co were using, and he and he also finds tracks indicating that they took off in the plane and installed McBain's engine. Watson uh, finds information in the newspaper about a mysterious entry in the race called the Black Eel. It, like there was almost no point in even solving the mystery because it is just a picture of Moriarty, <laughs> and uh, we get so uh, Watson, Watson does some more uh, angry growling in this bit, which is uh, which is pretty funny. This raises the question again of why Moriarty is doing this because there's no, there's no, they don't say anything about a prize and it seems that he's just again just kind of doing it for the glory when he could be doing things like overthrowing capitalism. I don't the, know. The race is just weird because the race doesn't like as you mentioned like there's no there's no prizes there's no there's no clearly defined rules. I mean, I mean lo- look at the way Moriarty enters the race. It's, it's exactly. Not, it's yeah. not clear if he did so legitimately or not. Yeah. <laughs> In the next bit, they head down to the airfield to talk to the contest organizers, and they don't seem what, to know what they can do about it, despite the fact that his participation is, seems to be completely unofficial, even though it was announced in the, in the newspaper. And he doesn't. And of course, Moriarty doesn't properly uh, enter the race. He has to covertly enter from the secret base hidden under a hill. Um, before they go do the investigation, Sherlock and, and Watson meet. Mrs. Hudson in the airfield, and of course she is. Uh, Sherlock is quite taken by her sexy air uniform, and uh, a shot that I'm definitely going to make a gif out of uh, in advertising this episode. He has a little uh, a little puff comes out of his pipe, which uh, <laughs> <laughs> is really great. I noticed uh, that too. That yeah. was uh, that was subtle. Yeah, <laughs> and the, the three take off together in a biplane. Uh, Lestrade follows them. Uh, across the channel in a small puttery little steamboat and that's when they go to and to inquire about the contest in this black eagle or entrant uh as the contest begins matt mcbain arrives in a new plane and uh before the race starts moriarty reveals uh his new plane again with this elaborate and unnecessary reveal uh where they at where they open the gate uh from a windmill it's a, it's a fun little sequence but i it, it raises more questions than anything the takeoff seems normal, but suddenly, again, the planes start falling apart uh, as Moriarty joins the competition, uh, and he lowers rope handles for Todd and Smiley to grab onto. And we get we get more uh, planes falling apart. They're not. This isn't quite as compelling a sequence as we saw in the, the previous episodes with uh, with the planes. But of course, the spirit is there, and I think that's what uh, Mikuria does best when he's kind of uh, following Miyazaki's template, even if he doesn't follow the approach by the letter. So Moriarty uh, gives a very animated big mouth laugh, and he chops off the wings of one of the biplanes with big lobster claws, and he saws another plane in half widthwise uh, with the propeller. And I should note he's not driving the, the pterodactyl. He is a uh, in a Black Eagle-themed uh, aircraft this time. Uh, so he uh, tries to uh, shoot down Mrs. Hudson and Watson, who are also uh, in another plane uh, with a machine gun that's hidden in the beak. So Moriarty shows up and basically sabotages all the planes it's either he sabotages 
uh, contestant planes or like destroy destroys them while in flight to win the competition. Yes, to win the competition. And, and, which brings the question as to why go through the why bother stealing the engine in the first place? It's like if he, he was going to do that. It's, he he tries to win the contest by illegally entering, stealing an engine, and then just sabotaging the other contestants. <laughs> and it's just like he's, he's it's a very non-committal effort. Or yeah. sorry, it's a lot of effort, but he doesn't seem to have a lot of faith in himself. Well, Which, you know, we, uh, we wouldn't have all this shaky plotting if Sonal Katabuchi had written the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then we, we have a fun sequence where Watson pulls out a picnic basket and and basically tries to fight uh, Moriarty and his uh, and his underlings with uh, with food. Uh, and these, these are some fun bits because they, uh, they just kind of let go of the food and let it fly off in a different direction. We get uh, a nice slimy chicken leg, hit Smiley in the face. Uh, he pours tea out of a thermos and he uh, pulls out a cake, which just kind of levitates into Moriarty's face. Uh, Holmes leaps onto uh, Moriarty's plane and climbs onto the wing, and Todd and Smiley crawl out, and they, tr- they try to peel his fingers off the wing. It's, uh, again, a far cry from the, the kind of confr- uh, similar confrontation we saw in the, the last episode we looked at. But, you know, it's, uh, it's different. And Mrs. Hudson manages to knock them off by uh, just kind of releasing an apple uh, into the air. Uh, and then we have the showdown between Sherlock, uh, Sherlock Hound and Moriarty. Uh, Moriarty draws a gun as all three planes and Lestrade's car watch in anticipation. Uh, Moriarty fires. Uh, Sherlock is able to dodge and jumps off the plane, only to be caught by uh, in, caught by McBain's plane. Um, and there's a great little bit where Moriarty's uh, the, the engine blows up, and then he jumps off the plane without a parachute, and he uses his cape as a parachute. <laughs> so. A lot of holes in this plan, and that he didn't have a uh, have a parachute of any kind apart from his cape. And then uh, they get he gets run over by Smiley and Todd in a tractor, and then is being uh, chased down by Lestrade. Uh, McBain and Mrs. Hudson both reach the end of the race to a cheering crowd, and uh, Helen is waiting there for uh, for Matt, who is declared the winner. But again, I don't understand how he's the winner <laughs> because nothing in this contest makes any sense. Um, they celebrate with champagne and hors d'oeuvres. Watson, in, in the English version, I don't know if it was different in, in French. Watson, Watson asked if Moriarty is allergic to any of these foods, and Holmes uh, says just a failure, and everyone laughs. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know if I missed something there because <laughs> that's kind of a weird note to end this episode on. But um, it's a fun episode for sure. Uh, again, it it does kind of make you think of the Miyazaki episodes and wish it was more like them. But uh, it, it well, I think it, I think it strikes a good contrast. It does, um, yeah, in, yeah. In a few, you know, ways. because they're similar subject matter, but Mercuria's work is a lot uh, flatter, and uh, you know, it's it's less busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a little yeah. more straightforward, a little more workmanlike. Um, yeah. The, yeah, his line work isn't as strong. The yeah. characters look a little blobbier and less distinct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they do in the uh, in the Miyazaki episode. Uh, one thing I did notice is that uh, the, the colors pop a little bit more. They're a little bit brighter, and mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that's because uh, the animation director on a lot of these Makuria episodes was a guy named uh, Takeo Kitahara, mm-hmm. who died a few years ago. But he was one of the Inspector Gadget guys, uh, and oh. he also he went on to be like one of the main animators for City Hunter. He did like the animation for all the opening sequences and was one of their main animation directors. So uh, good good use of color. But uh, they're definitely a different style. I, I'm also convinced that you know the the postal uh, airplane from the Miyazaki episode. They totally reuse that. 
Like oh, yeah? the same yeah. plane, the same plane totally shows up if you if you keep an eye out for it. It doesn't surprise me. I, I didn't catch that, yeah. but it doesn't surprise me at all. Well, there. Uh, any other thoughts in this episode before we wrap up? I was just I mean, really confused by Moriarty. <laughs> <laughs> like the second time I watched this episode, I was more confused by it, probably because I was paying closer attention. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, this that episode really, in particular, tests the limits of Moriarty as as an interesting villain rather yeah. than just you know a, a very silly cartoonish character. You know, he he is one of the best and worst parts of this show. Yeah. He's he's a he's a fun character, but man, it's just like having him every plot, all, nearly every plot revolve around him and try to think of different different ways to re, like have him be at the center of everything or be behind everything. It uh, it gets pretty old. And, I mean, uh, certainly from the eyes eyes of a child, it could definitely be entertaining. Yeah. Uh, I, this, show, this, this show is great for kids. Uh, yeah, from from beginning 100%. to end. Um, oh yeah, 100%. I think. And as much as I, 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 you know, would discourage, would want to discourage kids from using YouTube at all ever. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a great, it's a, it is a great series to show to kids. It's, it's pretty mm-hmm. solid. Although there's a near the end, there's that one joke where like Smiley's like disguised as as Moriarty's wife and threatens to kill himself. That was a a little. Kind of, kind, kind of hurts it as being for kids, but uh, yeah, there's this, there's this joke. At least in the English, though, maybe it's a little softer in other languages. It's like, oh. if, if he is like, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's that's not good. The English version did add some dialogue that was not present in the original scripts. Mm. Also, one thing that's interesting is if you look at the, if you compare the English and Japanese cuts, the English ones are usually a little longer. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. and and not not for content reasons so much. Uh, it it just seems like the you know they they trimmed them a little to fit uh, Japanese commercial breaks in, but they they like they overanimated them, and that's that's very interesting because that never happened. And do, wait, so on the DVD, does it does it sync perfectly, or are there two no. different? There are two no, different. There are, uh... there are two different versions oh, of each wow. episode oh, wow. on the DVD. That's... that's the only way you can present the material uncut. Oh, I didn't oh, know wow. that. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that makes that makes sense. Um, yeah, because if you yeah. if you sync them up, you'd have to use the English as the master, and the Japanese would have gaps in the audio. So yeah. you don't want to do that. Oh wow, yeah, uh, interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, it it, it it does remind me a bit about how uh, as a much more recent example, the Loop on the Third um, Part Four was produced, yeah. which was an Italian co-production. Oh yeah, there, and, and similar similar situation where yeah. like the just the cuts and the timing of the episodes are slightly different. So what what do you guys think about the, the legacy of this show? Is it what do you think it's a thing people need to go back to? I think it kind of holds pretty well yeah. if you're able to uh, suspend a lot of disbelief. <laughs> uh, <laughs> If you can accept um, dogs as characters, for instance. <laughs> I mean, it's not just that one episode where Moriarty just makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think if you're able to, like, get past that, it's definitely definitely interesting and, I'd say, worth a watch. It might be a bit jarring if, you, it's, if you're, like, completely new to it and you're used to uh, more uh, adult versions of Sherlock Holmes and... And Watson and, and Moriarty, because again, again with Moriarty, but mm-hmm. <laughs> Moriarty and his, and his goons are like complete buffoons, which is a complete departure from what Moriarty tends to be characterized mm-hmm. as. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, I, I dug up one review. It's not online anymore about uh, about Sherlock Hound, and uh, the guy just couldn't. He he just uh, he gave it a bad review because he just could not accept the fact that this show was for kids, and he expects more from 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 Miyazaki or more depth. I mean, I guess if you're if you're looking for like maturity from Miyazaki works, this is kind of a step back uh, after uh, Future Boy Conan. But 
I don't think I, I don't think that's the right way of looking at it. It's it's, it's representative no. of, of of his stuff at the time. I think. Yeah. I I think it, it, this show is absolutely worth checking out. I de- like everyone needs to see the Miyazaki episodes for sure. Um, and the rest is still is still pretty great. It's different, uh, but it's you know if nothing else, it's it's something you can throw in in the background with the English dub, and it's uh, mm-hmm. you know perfectly enjoyable. Yeah, I, th- I think that uh, you know obviously the, the Miyazaki episodes are crucial to have a look at if you want to understand you know where Studio Ghibli came from mm-hmm. and how the talent developed there. Uh, and I think the show in general, yeah, it's it's pretty good. I think the Mercuria episodes, you don't have to be a completist on those. Uh, you know, you can you can pick and choose and sample them and see if you really like the series. Uh, you know, I've I've got it filed comfortably in in my my cartoon dog section of my collection, right next to Dogtanian <laughs> and the Three Muscatines. Yeah, Actually, I was gonna I was gonna ask you, yeah. Mike, how how does this stack up in the uh in the grand scheme of, of great dog cartoons and dog adaptations. Well, I mean, since I just mentioned it, I have I must confess that I think Dogtanian is much better. <laughs> yes. I think it's I think it's a much more fun, entertaining cartoon, and I think it's a better adaptation of the source material. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Dogtanian was great. Ooh, maybe maybe we should do a Dogtanian episode. Did that air in Canada at all? It that that's where I watched it. Yeah. No. Oh, okay. okay. They did dub that in English, it's, and that's an interesting story because they dubbed it in Los Angeles, but it was never aired in the United States. It, it, it became popular in Britain. Oh. But maybe that's for another time. Yeah. But as as you know, Talking Dog Pantheon, pretty good uh, as an adaptation of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, if you're a Holmes fan, you can probably skip this. It's, <laughs> yes. it's very it's very different from from the traditional Sherlock Holmes story. But as as a Miyazaki project, it holds up as an animated series. I think it's pretty solid. Yeah. Well, uh, guys. I think that just about wraps us up. Thanks so much for coming on. We had a, this is a great discussion. Uh, I had a lot of fun uh, looking into this show. Chris, could you uh, just let us know where people can find you online? And uh, again, just anything else you're working on you might not have mentioned before? Uh, yeah, so you can find me online on Twitter at Kurotsky and check back next year for Kurokon Volume 3. Uh, we're going to make it bigger, better, and more fun. So check that out. Great. And, uh, and Mike, where can folks find you on social media? Easiest place is always Twitter, um, at Michael Tool there with an E on the, you know, T-O-O-L-E with an E on the end. Uh, I post pretty much every day. And uh, I do have a project uh, that is unannounced in the works for Discotech. Hopefully we'll be hearing about that in the next month or two. And thanks for tuning in to Zon in Canada. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge or email zonincanada at gmail.com. The theme song is by Ultra Kleistron and can be found on his album Packet Flood, which you can find at ultrakleistron.com. Uh, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. I do have a coffee account as well. Uh, you can find that at ko-fi.com slash Canada. if you like what I do uh, feel free to leave me a tip um, and yeah thanks for tuning in see you again Sweet.